Welcome back to another episode of Rethink Real Estate. Today was a, a great episode that I got to spend a bit of time with Amanda Gore, fellow Aussie. So uh, again, forgive all the Aussieisms, but she lives in North America, uh, more specifically Virginia. She did spend 10 years here previously, but been on the speaking circuit with some very, very big names. Simon Sinek is one that comes up in our conversation, um, but her philosophy on just the mental awareness um, and multitude of different things from a perspective of the way to show up. Um, this conversation is a little all over the place, but I really enjoyed the angle that we went down around life lessons. You know, Amanda is, um, as she put it, um, in her advanced years, but her ability to really focus on her growth still was something I was really inspired by. Um, her general thought of things, um, there's a few out there theories, don't get me wrong, but uh, I really enjoyed the general conversation around life and around a few different aspects. Hopefully you can get something out of it. Thanks so much. Welcome to Rethink Real Estate. My name is Ben Brady, and this is a real estate podcast aimed to deliver sales strategies, marketing tips, and business insights from industry experts and myself to build a listing-focused business for the future. Let's get into it. Well, Amanda, welcome to Rethink Real Estate. We're so pleased to have you here. I'm so pleased to be talking to you, Ben, and an Aussie as well. Woohoo! Do you know, I, I immediately, when you jumped on the call and you and I are doing a bit of a debrief, there's this level of comfort that you have when it comes to an, a, a homebound accent, even though I've been in the States for 10 years. Yeah. How long have you been in the States for? I've been here this time about eight months. I arrived back in December. I lived here for 10 years before between Dallas and Vermont, so from the oh. sublime to the ridiculous. I'm more of a Vermont girl, by the way. <laughs> and um, uh, I've come back this time uh, to live in Charlottesville, Virginia, which is different, nice, different, unusual. Not that anybody in America will understand that, but if you watched Kath and Kim, oh, you know yes. that comes from Kath and Kim, nice, different, unusual. Uh, yeah, that's right. I, I forgot all about Kath and Kim. Are they still a thing in Australia? Well, periodically, yeah. Yeah, right, I'm sure and they Kath are. Kath and Kim that they, they produced in America is different. There's different actors and actresses. and There's a Kath and Kim in America? Apparently, but it didn't last. No, I'm sure it didn't. It wasn't the same. No, I it's, often find that from an American perspective, whilst they've got a great humour, our sarcasm overtakes that level of humour to the to the nth degree. <laughs> yeah, and, and we just have, it's, it's kind of sick, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> well, we take such we take the Mickey out of ourselves, which no one will understand. So we we make fun of ourselves, and and this whole program, Kath and Kim. If you like Aussie humour, you'll love it. See if you can find it on the web somewhere. It's about um, really ordinary people, and and I, you can't even describe it. Really, you just have to experience Kath and Kim. No, that's right. Well, so your journeys have been chopped up and changed. So 10 years and then you're back to Oz and then back here now for about eight months. I guess yeah. one, one of my first questions in all of this is that, you know, you've done a, a fair bit of work with the real estate community and recently, it's funny, I haven't even told you this, but, um, you know, a couple of people within the Harcourts Network came and reached out to me with your name because oh. they went to a Brian Buffini conference, oh. conference and they saw you speak there. Obviously, they think that every Australian knows each other, okay? <laughs> Um, so yeah. immediately they say your name and they're like, well, do you know Amanda? I'm like, yeah. well, no, I don't want to be rude, but no, I don't. <laughs> but, um, anyway, but um, but how do you service the real estate community? 
Well, I've been speaking forever, like 35 years. So I'm ancient, but I'm very young at heart. So don't be scared. I'm very energetic at conferences. And in fact, I spoke for Harcourts back in the day when Stephen Harcourt just started it. Uh, yes. I've done many Harcourts events and I've done just about every real estate event in Australia and pretty much all the big ones in the States. Because first of all, real estate people are, are so entrepreneurial on the whole. And they're wonderful audiences because they're great people, they're relationship people. And that's the sort of stuff that I speak about at a, mm, I don't know, at a really no bullshit kind of Aussie level. And we've become, in the 35 years I've been speaking, we we seem to become so sophisticated and so, um, you know, scientific and, and structured and people have to sound really smart and do all these things and it's all supposed to be different and there's techniques and things but you know what as I say to people who are you buying and selling to or from and it's people so how much have people changed in the last I don't know 3,000 years in the way they operate and they haven't so I still do the science because I'm a physiotherapist, you know, that means what most Americans were. So it's kind of like a physical therapist on steroids. Uh, yeah. And uh, um, I, I started off speaking about wellness and that morphed into speaking about stress and that morphed into all the things that cause stress, relationships, communication, um, uh, leadership skills, uh, working in a workplace, mental health, all of those things. And about maybe... Mm, Maybe 15 years ago, I, I wrote a book on joy. And so, and this was in the days before they were doing the research on happiness and what joy actually does. And, and they did the research on happiness, and I think joy takes it to a new level. What's the name uh, of the book, Amanda? Uh, um, the Happiness Advantage by Sean Acor. That was the first one. There's about a bazillion books on happiness since then. <laughs> But he was the first one that actually did the research at Harvard. So, for example, you know, joyful workplaces uh, sell 37% more. They, they're 31% more productive, 300% more creative, and 125% less burnout. So it's, it's really quite a scientific thing. But having said we've become so sophisticated and technical, I still blend a lot of sciences like neuroscience, epigenetics, emotional intelligence and quantum physics because I've studied physics, quantum physics since I was at uni. Right. When, when it was a, a what? what? What's that? I'm so old. That's when it was what's that? And, you know, it really matters with us today because I've studied forever with another guy. You should have speak sometime, Michael Grinder. He's the world's leading authority, I believe, on nonverbal communication. All right. And so I, I and, and I reckon it's a great thing for real estate agents to do because Michael teaches you all the different levels that go on uh, uh, below the, the, the verbal stuff. Got it. And it isn't just body language. It's voice tones, vocal variety, micro-muscle, micro-colour changes in our faces, our breathing. And the quantum physics part of it is it's the vibe the person gives off. There's another Aussieism, the vibe. 
Yeah, it is out of the castle. If you haven't seen the castle, watch the castle. Too. I actually, I actually showed a couple of Americans the castle. A couple of my buddies, we watched the castle. They, they didn't get it at all. Oh no, really? <laughs> Tell him he's dreaming. Tell him he's dreaming. He's dreaming. Yeah, yeah. This is a film, folks who are listening. We're not just idiots. Um, <laughs> that that had so many phrases that permeated the Australian culture because it was such a phenomenal movie that we loved, and most Americans do look at it and go, hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like they look at Kath and Kim probably if they get a chance yeah. to look that up. But That's it's worth it. Good. It's worth it. But, Amanda, this is the thing that, that sort of dazzles me about when I was doing some research about you is the depth, in essence, of the research that you've done and the things that you understand from all of the things that you've mentioned that you've studied about the human behaviour um, of things. Does it become the, – the thing that I look at, it becomes overwhelming to me. Like at the end of the day, I'm just somebody in real estate that sells homes that, you know, eventually got into the franchise and the auction space and the, all of that type of stuff. It's a, it's a very uncomplicated industry from that perspective. If you understand that we deal with people, mm. I guess that if you could give understanding the real estate audience, if you could give five basic tips that for people just to baseline improve from communication or their stress levels or whatever it may be, what would those five tips be? Oh, you should have warned me you're going to ask me this because I'll forget as I go along. So you better uh, it's keep okay. the numbers going. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Uh, you know, I, I teach because I'm not the average American speaker. I don't have a speech. Uh, in Australia, the audiences are too small, so you've got to mm. be flexible. Yep. So I have hundreds of chunks of information that I mix and match depending on the group. And I don't, I prepare, but I'm still not fixed when I get on the stage. Often I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth because I'm actually interacting with the group at a field level as well as it's a conversation. That's how I see speaking. Yeah. And that ties in to the first thing that I'm going to say because I, I teach almost everyone, this is almost consistent in every presentation, the single most important thing in life is how you feel about yourself. Ah. And if I didn't get through any of the other four tips, this is the most significant one. Because think about it. If you're hungover, let's just pick something up. You've been to a real estate conference and you've had the party and, and you guys are drinkers on the whole <laughs> and uh, party animals once you get going. The next morning, if you were at work and woke up feeling like that, you know it's not going to be your stellar day because, <laughs> A, you're not physically feeling good. So that's just kind of a metaphor for if you're riddled with doubt, as you often are when you begin, that that how you feel about yourself, which is based on the three core fears that are embedded in most of us by the time we're seven. If you don't have any awareness of those that are ruling how you feel about yourself, it becomes really hard to try and feel joyful yep. or feel good about yourself, feeling confident and resilient and that ability to get up and be energetic if a total stranger walks in the place, which is what you guys have to do all the time. Mm -hmm. And you have to be confident to ask for referrals. And, you know, you have to be a people person. And some days you don't feel like being a people person. So if you tune in to how you're feeling about yourself at the time, that will help you rejigger your frequency. But, but let me give you a bit of background on that too because, I mean, I'm 69, so I'm, I'm fairly advanced, but I only feel 45 and chronologically I'm 45. Ah, uh, there you go. 
There you go. And, and I think I'm about 25, <clears throat> all of which, by the way, much as I joke, matters. Because if I said, wow, I'm 69 and I'm old and I really feel old, I will be. But but yeah. I don't. I, I actually, uh, I say 69 is just a number and I go, wow, that that's a weird number. It's funny and- that you see those people though, Amanda, like it's it's funny, like the people that are like, they get up off the chair and like, like my dad, my dad is like, this is like, he'll go, oh, my knee. And I'm like, dad, you're 58. Yeah. You know, like I know 58 year olds that are running marathons and all of that type of stuff. It is yeah. that mental set. So you're saying in all of this type of thing is that the way that you feel, it obviously permeates across in everything that we everything. do from and, the start. And you, some people are going to hear that and go, well, duh, no brainer. But the vast bulk of the population, according to epigenetics, for 95 to 99% of the time, we're literally unconscious of what we're thinking. Right. And the consequence of what we're thinking is our feeling. And, and so your dad, for example, he's probably, I don't know what's happened to him or where he is in his life phase, job-wise, whatever, but he's, he's starting to think he's old. Yeah. And as he starts to think he's old, that affects everything you do. Oh, well, I can't really do that because I'm a bit old or, well, you know, I might fall over or, geez, I've hurt my knee, I'm getting old. I even went to a doctor. I don't ever go to doctors, but I had to go before I came to America and the guy looks at me and he says, oh, well, you've probably got a few symptoms at your age. I'm like, you know, in Australia I would say something off but not on this podcast. What a dick. I know. It's I, so I, bad. I would, yeah. Yeah. It's off, mate. <laughs> you know, you're not going to plant that seed in me. Yeah, that's unbelievable. That is planting a seed, isn't it? Oh, that's wrong. <laughs> that's what so much of media does and and. You know, if you're caught on social media, it's infecting everybody, but that's a whole different topic. Back to the thing I was going to say, which was I keep working on myself. And uh, at 69, I've been doing it since I was at least 20 when I realised you could do it. But in the last six years, I've made more progress than I ever have and made more shifts. Mm -hmm. And I would say moving to the States has been another deep dive into a whole lot of aspects of me that um, I had to look at. And one of the things that might be beneficial for everybody, and it does tie in, we can make a point two if you like. So yeah, you point two. Start. Let's go. Let's, yeah, yep. <laughs> However, um, uh, when I first started speaking and Michael Grinder was mentoring me, he said to me one day, you know you're a different person on stage off, from off stage. And I went, oh. Because he could, he might as well have stabbed me in the heart. My oh. one thing about speaking was to be authentic. Right. Because I'd seen in my very early days these famous people who were fabulous on stage and they got off stage and they were like psychos or depressed hulks. And I thought, oh, I never want to be like that. Yeah. And so I was masterful in the way I took the persona I created for stage and tapped it into Amanda. However, when Michael said that to me, I didn't, I, I kind of got what he said and I tried really hard to match the two. And what ended up happening was that I did become authentic, but to my persona. Okay. And about seven years ago, I met a guy called David Martin, davidmartin.world, who's an astonishing human. And he, I worked with him for, for a while, a lot, I still work periodically with him for a long time. And he really taught me what had made me develop this persona. Uh, 
And I had already come up with the three core fears, which I'll give you because I hate people who talk about things and they (laughs) they keep mentioning these things and they don't give them to you. Uh, That's a good point. Here are the three core fears, folks, and they're embedded by the time you're seven. You may have one or all of them. I got the trifecta. And it isn't embedded by someone else. This is the key, key, key point. We, as toddlers, tell ourselves the stories. So something happens, you know, even as a a baby toddler crying and your mummy doesn't come to you or daddy doesn't come to you, you tell yourself a story about abandonment. But the truth is, mummy and daddy were two rooms away and the baby monitor wasn't on. They just didn't hear you. But we've told ourselves a story in such a state that we've been abandoned, that that becomes one of the core fears. So the three core fears, the first is a double whammy. It's I'm not worth loving or I'm not good enough. Mm. I got um, both of those really, but I took it to the next level, of course. Uh, I told myself I was worthless. The second core fear is that I'm unsafe in some way which is really um, common if you had an alcoholic parent, which I did, or uh, a mentally unwell parent, much more common these days. Mm. And then the third one is a fear of separation, which is a big, big one. And I used to say to people, it's a fear of not belonging, not fitting in, but and abandonment. But really, it's the separating yourself from who you really are. So so many of us have that, um, what do you call that thing that I'm actually talking about? Um, you know, the fake persona, the... Oh, the fake, well, okay. What, now what this is a quiz that? for me. Um, the, th- there's a real name for it that's on the tip of my tongue. Somebody's that, on the other end of the podcast here screaming it out. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, <laughs> they probably are yeah. because imposter syndrome. That's oh, it. there we go. Okay. Imposter syndrome. <laughs> Everybody, and there's got to be an element that everybody is so f- familiar with that in the real estate industry. Like I know people that do several millions of dollars of transactions in commissional dollars that you could honestly go to them and say, you're the greatest real estate agent ever, and they wouldn't believe you. And you think it's them being humble, but they just wouldn't. So many people it's not. And so, if again, if there's no other takeaway you take away, take this away. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, who you are, shout so loudly, I can't hear what you say. Mm-hmm. And and I talk about uh, uh, this bit, we probably don't have time to do, but I talk about nonverbal communication and how whatever it is that you're thinking inside your head, so those core fears, is shining out of you. Right. So it doesn't matter what comes out of your mouth. Right. What will emanate out of you is what you're telling yourself. So if, if a, you know, your least favourite client walks in, and they have been, you've been ripping your hair out at night, hor- horrified that you have to see them again today. They walk in the door. Now you're thinking to yourself, oh, no, no, die, die now, die now, you know, as they walk in. You're not saying it out loud. You're thinking it. But your mouth goes, hi, yeah. great to see you. They don't like you. They will know. Haven't you ever been to a party and, and you meet someone, you walk away, you go, mm, I don't know, they seemed really nice, but something didn't quite click. That's because the non-verbals didn't match the verbals. It's congruence. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And and so when you're actually living in imposter syndrome, it transforms everything. So it was in a really long way to say that as I did the work on myself and as I am becoming truly authentic to myself by knowing better who I really am, then it shows on stage. Because what's emanating out of me, and honestly, it's transformed what I do in the audiences. 
I've, I've always been blessed to have a great response from the audience, but it's kind of like through the roof now. And we're touching on much deeper things and people are writing to me more often saying that they've remembered the stuff and they're implementing it. And they're oh, well, doing obviously, it. obviously it's working for you considering the fact that a fair few of the people that were at the conference reached out to me about yourself. But I want to, I want to, we're at number two of five. I get okay. that, but I want to take a little bit of a deviation at the moment. And again, I want to be polite in this because again, to the audience, I know Amanda, you and I could probably talk pretty frankly with each other. Yeah. I don't believe that you're overly advanced in your age. I think you're, you're sort of, you know, at the moment, you know, the 70 is the new 50. Yeah if you 40. ask me 40 40 sorry yeah, 40. but i guess that i guess that the 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 reality is the thing that i'm really getting with all of this is that your level of curiosity you're talking about shifts that you're making at this age when most people will be hanging up the gloves yeah. You know, like, like again, I know that it's based on the thought process that you're telling yourself and you're ultimately drinking your own Kool-Aid with what you're telling people. I get that. Yeah. But how does that level of curiosity and how do you drive yourself forward to be still so open to change and so open to improvement? Is there, is there, is there a secret? Is there? I'd love to say that it's my wisdom and my just general curiosity and I love adventure. No, no, it's falling into the shit of things really. Yep. And, you know, I didn't particularly want to come back to America, but uh, I had this, well, the truth is, I sat on the balcony one day of my beautiful home on the Sunshine Coast where I looked over the ocean, which was a 10-minute drive away, surrounded by gully green trees and private and beautiful weather and thinking, am I mad? And and I sat there and I just went, am I meant to go? Like, wh- what am I supposed to do? Right. And I heard, people are now going to think I'm a space cadet, but, you know, I'm being authentic. And I heard this voice that said, do you want to play big or small? And in that moment, I knew I had to go. I have no idea what big looks like. I have no idea what it means. Uh, I know I was, again, I've only had three times of being told things in my life. The other one was that my mission was to eradicate fear, which was, you know, why are you here? And so I figure it's got something to do with that. But having, you know, that was a whole exercise in itself, selling the house, leaving, saying goodbye to family and friends, landing here. In the first place I went to, I lived before, and so I've got family there, you know, godchildren. So it was like going home. But then to come to Charlottesville, where I only knew one couple, that that was a big. Why Charlottesville, sorry? Um, well, because David Martin lives here. And, oh, okay. Um, I was going to keep working with him. Right. And so and when you say working with David Martin, you mean he coaches you or how does well, that work? P- still working on myself, but also potentially doing some work with him as he educates and, and has brought in a, an amazing new technology that basically turns tar sands into running oil oh. all with very, very pure um, um, side effects. You know, okay. but it ends up with pure silica, pure oil, and um, pure sand. Oh, right. Well, that's silica. Pure something else. Anyway, <laughs> it's fabulous. And uh, it's going to change the world, I think. So I many of the things uh, for me with the growth have been kind of forced. But really more often it's a challenge or a difficulty in my life 
or a pattern that I'm trying to break, a pattern I've seen. For example, I've been married twice and I got divorced about five years ago and my ex-husband and I are best friends. Seriously, he's my best friend. And we have a great relationship now. And, and it didn't take much to have a great relationship. He's a wonderful human. But the the struggles that I went through in the marriage, I was always looking at myself first. Right. Because if you blame and make excuses and say, well, it's someone else's fault, that you they're a mirror for you. Yep. And so I've, I've always tried to say, what is it in me that's making me feel this way? And and a corollary to that is that so I don't beat myself up and I'm, I'm not um, overly humble, I don't think. Sometimes it's not my issue and... And sometimes I have to acknowledge that, but it's not my go-to position. Right, okay. So you're, you inwardly, you inwardly reflect before yeah. you outwardly look at the other situation, which yeah. uh, like in some cases that's a great trait, but in other cases that you have to have the mental tenacity to be able to pull yourself out of that in moments where it isn't your fault. And to identify it because, uh, again, the pattern I had was I would take all the responsibility. All I was responsible for everyone and that's why I split up twice because right. I changed that into not only was I responsible for everyone, but I could fix everyone. That's not a good quality in a partner in a marriage. Yeah, you become it's the a fixer. Very irritating yeah. one. And yeah. I did it everywhere. But did I know I did it? No. People <laughs> told me repeatedly. And even after they told me and I was aware of it, I kept doing it. So I got to the point where I'd catch myself doing it. Yep. And it wasn't until I dived really deep that I found the source of it. And so yeah. now I do it, but much less often, right. and I catch myself. So that could be point three, you know. It was a good question because... Well, I, just before we get to point three, I want to go back and I want to ask you something about what you've said is that, you know, you heard a voice and and or, or you had something in your, in well, your mind where it said... No, 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 no. Yeah, great, excellent. Um, but <laughs> but, uh, but small, do you want to go small or big? Do you, from your perspective having a couple of those moments or anything along those lines. Like I'd, I've never heard that voice. I've never, I never, I'm not a spiritual person whatsoever, but if I reflect on certain things that I've done or certain things that have happened, I could probably say that there's an element of that somewhere along the line where I probably heard a voice or I sort of let go a little bit and I let it happen or it happened really yep. easily. And they're the good things that, it, that really did ultimately happen. Um, do you have to be open? Do you have to be looking for that? Like like when it comes to like you sitting there on your balcony in your beautiful property in the Sunshine Coast, whereabouts, by the way? Uh, Budrum. Budrum. Okay, love Budrum. Uh, I'm partial to Noosa, but that's because I'm a little bit bougie. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah bougie. Yeah, okay. And then but um but but ultimately like like do you have to be do you have to have a certain amount of accomplishment? Do you need to be looking for something? What is your thought process? If someone's out there thinking to themselves at the moment, listening to this, hey, I'm looking for something, I need to be told what to do next, or I'm I don't know, whatever premonition that they need, mm. is that do they have to be open to that moment? Yeah, again, that's a great question. And what David teaches, and I, I have worked on myself, he says, instead of forcing and pushing things, allow, so it's being open, an impulse to come uh -huh. and recognise an impulse. So, you know, Ben, what you've done with the business, you would say 
probably in normal lingo that, uh, oh, that's language for Americans, sorry, um, that, oh, an opportunity was just there and you took it or, yeah. you know, you, you just decided to dive off the cliff. The truth is you probably had some impulse that came through you from from your source connection, if you like. I'm, yeah. I'm not overly spiritual either. And certainly- no, but I, I see what you're saying though because like like – if you think about if I think about my transition to the US, I was 23, 24 years of age. I don't remember Kalistrine making the decision to go. I remember asking her if she wanted to come come with me um, because we were we were only together a year at the time. Wow. Um, and and she said, "Yeah, why not?" But I don't believe we like ever made that. It just it just happened. Yeah. It was a it was a thing that just happened. Um, and, and it was and, in flow. Yeah. See when when you're aligned with who you really are and you're aligned with your kind of i don't know soul track life purpose track thing then it's easy it it unfolds mm. when it's a struggle all the time something's going on mm. so and if when you know when you know that you know something I've hardly ever had a I know that I know. I would love to have more I know that I know feelings. Like I heard the big or small and I went, oh, shit, you know. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I knew I had to go, but it wasn't a yay, that's going to be. See, I would, if, I, if I heard that, I would have been like, what the fuck does that mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I did basically. Yeah. But, no, that's not true actually. I, I thought, oh, shit I would have said what you'd said but I'm scared you know somebody's going to get upset and and then I thought well what what does big look like what is big yeah and I still don't know so this is another lesson for me to be open as you were saying and to be aware of what's presented to me if you like um and and I, I don't know who presents it nature source ourselves and maybe if we're, <clears throat> excuse me, open, we're we're more aware of opportunities around us. Mm. But if there's, and also I'm I'm a bit challenged by goals. You know, people set goals, and and I, certainly it's they're great for almost everyone, I suppose. Maybe everyone. My feeling just is that if you're very specific about the goal, and they tell you to be specific. I wonder sometimes if the universe looks down and says, ah, is that all you want? We were going to give you much more. Bummer. Oh, well, though, we'll just give you that. So I've always had that I don't want to limit myself. So I might have a direction and and I'll. That's interesting, Amanda. That's so interesting because I actually was listening to a gentleman by the name of Alex Hamozzi the other day who I don't really 100% agree with a great deal of stuff that he does, and, and he, but he's a, he's a serial entrepreneur and he's documenting his journey to a billion-dollar revenue within his company and he's a very much a go-getter and I do appreciate a lot of the stuff that he puts out. Right. And he's very much the same with the goal thing. Like it's this kind of this new thing that I've heard a few people say recently. It might not be new for oh. you, but, but in essence is that having a specific goal limits you to that specific goal like you just said, is that, hey, we were going to give you a lot more or whatever it is, but yeah. it's not an excuse not to set an intention. 
let's be clear about that but but that said is that like a lot of people would love like to sort of buy into their own theory of this go oh great i don't have to do goal setting anymore because that's really tough for me to come up with that point yeah but but in essence it was something that he said that i was like "Uh, yeah okay i get it and then i heard another person say hearing you say it now it's interesting maybe we need to rethink as a company-wide perspective how we set goals because you know those they, they might be a little bit little bit old school in that sense you know potentially and and the other thing that came through while you were talking is that i've heard a lot of people talking about being the best and and i mean i'd listened ages ago it didn't really rub against me as it has recently and i had to look again inside why is this bothering me and i realized because i think if you're trying to be the best there is an an energy of competition and competitiveness that can be good and may not be. Mm. But if you strive to be the best you, the most um, aware, the most conscious, uh, the most kind version of you, because kindness really matters, and if you come from your heart, which is I don't know we're up to we're almost up to five I reckon with what we've talked about. That's but good. one of them is getting from your head to the your heart. My business mm-hmm. in Australia was called Head to Heart because I've forever been trying to do that. We we work with a we work with a lady who's been on this podcast many times, Julia Gentry. Um, she's a a. a um, uh, a growth coach is sort of how we've labeled her. Um, I've done a lot of personal work with her as well. And that's something that I still, I've spent two years working with her. Yeah. That transition is still something you have to work on every day. And I've got to be honest, like I still don't have any grasp, but I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, defile her work, but <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's really something ah. that is, that is hard. And, you know, I've been trying for, I mean, my, my company was called Head to Heart and I'm speaking about it and I was so in my head and so never present. So since I've met David, I've been, because he basically said to me, you've never been present a day in your life. I went, oh, haven't I? <laughs> and, and the other thing um, that I want to talk about too, remind me before we finish, is safety because okay. it's such a big thing. But in terms of um, getting into my heart, I, I've learned something just in the last few weeks that helps me a bit and um uh, there's a woman called oracle girl and now you're really going to be convinced i'm a space cadet but i mesh so many different points of view like all the sciences then the esoteric kind of sciences and then some stuff like this and she talks about for for two three minutes a day just stopping and being, because most of us can't be, we wouldn't know how to be if we fell over it, and um, my, me too, and I'm getting better at it though. And uh, she says, uh, feel your sense of self in your body. Well, the first month I'm like, I have no idea. And yeah. then one day I, I was aware of the kind of lower left part of my body and then as I went, I went, oh, oh, maybe that's me in my leg. And then uh, now I've kept practicing. Now I can't do it all the time, but if I sit quietly enough, long enough, I can feel it around my heart. So, 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 Oracle Girl is—is is it like meditation, or are you just? Well, she, her story is that she came from the future, and she looks human and all that stuff. 
But honestly, a lot of stuff. She's I mean, this is, is not a. This is not a. That's not a strong point to re, to no. convince people no. we're not space cadets here. But she came from the future. <laughs> I promise you, I've got a good science background, good physiological background. Okay, I'm not okay. integrating, and the stuff okay. that I say on stage is very practical. <laughs> see, it's just a practical tip for you to get into your heart and be aware that you're more in your heart. Right. Because most of us sever ourselves at the neck. I made mm-hmm. an art form. I hadn't had a feeling forever. And, and I, I'm not sure I ever did have a feeling because as a toddler I just shut it down. It yeah. wasn't safe to feel. And, and that's part of the issue too. I, I think many people cut themselves off because they, they felt when they were little and something that they perceived as dangerous was there. And many times it would have been dangerous. I mean, I'm pretty sure my, I don't remember a thing about my childhood, but yeah. I'm pretty sure my, my father, who used to get really, really drunk, was a bit scary to be around as a toddler. Okay. And, and it, even again, like two months ago, you're going to think, why should we listen to her? She's obviously completely screwed up. Um, I, I realised that I don't know that I'd felt safe a day in my life since I was little. Right. And I've been working on that too because. How do you work on that? Sorry, I don't. I just want to be specific. Well, How do you work on safety? Because I think mo- most of us, when we don't feel safe, when fear is ruling us, we can't be present. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not in our hearts because the heart doesn't have fear. The, it's, the, it's the head going, no, no, don't go there. Oh, my God, you'll feel something. Ah, yeah. no, stay away from that. You'll, somebody's going to hurt you. Somebody, so it's all the stories we're telling ourselves that make ourselves feel unsafe. And when you can breathe and, and look at what's causing the fear, it's a bit like if you're terrified of the dark, which I was as a kid, which will tell you probably something, uh, as soon as the light went on, I was okay. <laughs> so if we can identify the fears that are driving these the stories we tell ourselves mm-hmm. and shine a light on them, when you notice a particular anxiety, uh, then you can go, oh, wait, they don't just spring out of nowhere. They come because we're telling ourselves a story. So if we can stop and observe the story we're telling ourselves, then be the grown-up and go, well, well you know, he's not here anymore or you're, you are safe. Nobody's going to stab you or or punch you. And, and if you're in a situation where they're going to stab you or punch you, you should be scared and you should run. You know, that's not a good time to, to question the fear. That's smart. <laughs> that's good advice, yes. Yeah. But the rest of the time... It's really us that's making ourselves scared. Hmm. So if we stayed in our hearts, the heart has a, and there's a place called the Institute of Heart Math. Now I can restore my my credibility. Heart Math is very scientifically based, a bunch uh-huh. of engineers, and all they do is research on the effect of the heart. And, and the body is a giant, and this ties into real estate too, the body is a giant bioelectric current and every organ generates its own electric current. And if you remember from school, every electric current generates a magnetic field around it. So the heart generates a magnetic field that goes six feet out from our bodies. And anybody in that six-foot sphere is connected to your heart and we're connected to theirs. Why do you think COVID made us stay six feet apart? Mm. There you go. So we could disconnect at a really deep level. (laughs) So whatever's in your heart influences the brain waves of the person in the field. And they've shown that someone with an angry heart, which is the number one predictive heart attack, by the way, mm-hmm. if you've got an angry, hostile heart, 
then some of an angry heart actually screws with the the brain waves of anybody in that sphere. So an angry heart could be defined as, um, you know, spiteful or aggressive or things yeah, along well, those lines. Yeah, you're pissed off with something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, there you go. Anything that makes you angry and you're spewing because, which Americans probably won't know what that means. <laughs> yes, you know. Uh, you're spewing because somebody's done something and you're furious and yeah. stomping yeah, you spew. around. I haven't heard, do you know how it took me? God, oh, that took me a second to actually realize what you were saying there. Spewing, I thought like throwing up, but then I'm like, no, spewing, that's an Aussieism for being angry. I'd like, yeah. uh, I haven't heard it in so high spewing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is a cultural lesson for people listening. Can I, speaking of cultural lessons, I know we are all over the place, but Amanda, I think I'm going to embrace that and just lean into it because I, I really am enjoying going through some of this stuff because I think that it's funny. I'm speaking to an Aussie about some of the more, you know, conscious, mentally conscious things that we need or awareness side of things that we need to be and a little bit of, you know, spirituality out there as well or, you yeah. know, the greater universe stuff. And I've got to be honest, then maybe it's just my circle of people that I grew up with or maybe it just whatever. But I feel like that if we were talking about this when I was growing up in Australia, <laughs> oh, you know, what do you talk about? Have a cup of concrete and get on yeah. with it, mate. You know, blah, 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 blah. You know, like, it is just something that is maybe it's different now. I haven't been and I haven't lived in Australia for 10 years. I've got still a great connection there. But but that said is that I just feel like North America is so much more open to this style of thinking. I, I don't know whether or not that's me just wanting to believe that the place that I am is better than the place I was. But <laughs> but But in essence is that I've felt so much more comfortable talking about these things in a greater landscape out here in the real estate community back in Australia. It's like, no, no, Ben, tell us how to do a script. Tell us how to do a deal. You know, tell me skill set. I'm not interested in this other mindset bullshit. Okay. And whereas here, I feel that people will resonate and they embrace a little bit more this side. Am I, what are your, what are your feelings being in this space? It's a numbers game. Okay. Because I talk about this stuff at home too. Right, right, right. right. Um, and to plenty of real estate groups in the last 10 years. I, I actually am beginning to think people are ready to embrace the whole of what they are because humans aren't just flesh and blood. Mm. We're emotional, spiritual, mental and physical beings. Mm. And, and if you ignore one aspect, then nothing was like back when I started talking about wellness, people would look at me and go, well, what? What's that? Sounds like a wank. Yeah, yeah. Now yeah. wellness is everywhere, including at home. So I think it's almost more of a numbers game. And you're in California too, aren't you, Ben? Correct. Well, you know, they're, they're <laughs> kind of more open to it there too. <laughs> truly, I think everybody is exhausted. They're burnt out. They're searching for purpose. Yes. They're full of fear from the last three years and it's been embedded in the culture. It's in the field. And they're desperate to find some kind of, as you say, purpose and joy yeah. because a lot of them are not happy. And yeah. so it, it's it's kind of taking that holistic piece and, and breaking it down into little bits that people can do because I try to make it funny when I'm on stage because I'm there for 90 minutes most of the time and if it wasn't funny, they'd you know be stabbing themselves and with sticks in the eye or something. And but in between, it's really profound because these things are profound. They're simple, but they're yeah. profound. Like if, if you could walk away from this podcast and have the intention of being present and being aware of how present you are every moment, 
your real estate business would change. Yeah. If if you walked away with a consciousness and made a conscious effort to work out who you really are and to be truly authentic, because we can remember, I thought I was authentic, <clears throat> but I was authentic to my persona. Mm. And that's a really common thing in real estate because you guys perform. That's a really common uh, thing in life. Yeah. Well, in any business where you've got clients hmm. and, and if you set, like there's a company, you just split this podcast into two, Ben. We'll just keep going. Uh, keep going. It's good. There's a company called Barry Waymiller that is a global multi-billion dollar company that I'd never heard of until I was sharing a stage with Simon Sinek oh. uh, or Sinek, however you say his name. Yeah, and, the, yeah getting to why. <clears throat> And he's brilliant with what he does. And oh, sorry, is it starting with why or getting with why? I can't remember. Uh, it's I, um, start, I with, start with start why. With yeah. why I think. Start with why, I think. Start with why, yeah, yeah. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and he said that the kind of credo of Barry Waymiller is we are developing great people to do extraordinary things. So I've used that quote for ages, but since I've been here, I dived a bit deeper into Barry Waymiller. And his, the, the owner, it's privately owned, multi-billion dollar global, and it's grown through acquisition. So that, and it's manufacturing. Hmm. So keep all that in mind as you hear, the reason they've been so successful is because he has taught everyone, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> since 2008 when they nearly crashed and burned, yeah. to consider this, this compassionate leadership where his book is called Everybody Matters. His name is Bob Chapman. And he teaches all his leaders to view the employees as their team members, as precious children who are in their charge. And they value and respect everyone, but they actually do it. Right. In 2008, when they were going to have to lay people off, they went to the teams and they said, let's all work together and come up with an idea. So they came up with this idea of a furlough. Everybody would take a month unpaid leave, but they could all keep their jobs. Well, they were so good as a community that people who didn't have to worry about money as much as some others would take six weeks and these people would only have to take two weeks. That is crazy. It's it's a wonderful book, really worth reading. Sorry, what's the book in, one more time? It's called Everybody Matters and the author is Bob Chapman. Bob Chapman, And he doesn't Everybody call matters. them acquisitions, he calls them adoptions. Because huh. I was about to ask that as well. Like again, as you have a quick drink, and uh, and um, is that I was going to ask that because acquisition we've seen in the real estate space. It's funny. There's a company by the name of Compass. You're probably aware of who they are. Um, you know, Robert Revkin um, is the CEO of Compass, and he came out recently because they obviously grew based on acquisition as well. Um, whether it be acquiring other real estate companies or like bringing in recruits and paying certain amounts of money for those recruits, he said that like when he was asked, "What would you do differently if you could have your time again?" He said, I wouldn't acquire companies because a merging of two cultures is far too difficult. Um, and and he's yeah. like, I just, it just, it really was a kind of waste of money from their perspective. But obviously, it just hadn't been done right. And if you approached, and again, this ties into where we really started, Ben, because we're talking about humans mm. and we're making heart to heart connections and we're genuinely caring. Yep. And when you read the book, you'll see, it. I mean, I was thrilled when I found the book because he basically has put into practice everything I've been teaching for 20 years probably, <clears throat> excuse me. And so 
if you approach everything that you do, like even last night, so this is how I keep working on myself. At the moment I'm working on judgment <clears throat> because most humans are, have made judgment an art form and, yeah. and I think I've excelled at it. <laughs> I, do you know what? I, I totally agree. I'm probably right there beside you. Well, uh, you know, I was so bad I didn't even know I was judging. People would accuse me of this. I go, no, I'm not. Yeah. And it's only fairly recently that I've appreciated just how much. Anyway, so I, in an attempt to meet people in Charlottesville, which is a small place, I've started to learn West Coast Swing. Now, I need to say, not only do I hardly ever listen to music, so I have no musicality whatsoever, I've not danced, except uh. in COVID when I tried doing Latin dance, which was an abysmal failure. So... I'm there at the dance and I think the only reason I get these lovely people who regularly practice to dance with me is because I hug them and I say, thank you for dancing with me. And there was a woman there last night and she, I'd met her before, I'd seen her before really, and I, I, she just kind of looks a bit austere and I, I avoid her really. What does and, that mean, austere? Um kind of severe looking. Oh. <laughs> and a bit grumpy. She kind of sat there looking grumpy. So um, so quick story for you is that the first yeah. time first time I ever met my significant other, which is Callista, Callista sometimes can have a look on her face when, you know, she's probably just like she's concentrating whatever. First time I met her, I went over and I'm like this. I, she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, just trying to get the words fuck off off your forehead. <laughs> oh, what a winner. What a winner. Hey. I you know, was hooked from step one. Yeah. Love at first sight, hey. Oh, that reminds me of uh, Paul Hogan and um, – what was Paul Hogan's offsider? Oh, uh, that's um, that's testing me, testing yeah, me. Yeah, because you're a bit young for that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we digress into an Australian story, which is not relevant. That's an awesome story. What's her last name? Because there Cal aren't many Callistas around. Callista Green is her last name. I know, it wasn't her. Yeah. I knew another Callista. Dude, I cannot believe you did that. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's going to give... Um, Harcourt's a really great culture. Oh, beautiful, isn't it? That's great. Yeah. You know, that's called playing with fire, not only soaking the matches in gasoline, it's like torching them at the same time. Yeah. But I'm serious, actually, when I say that wonderful sense of humour and that, you know, like no bullshit and don't take yourself too seriously, a flavour will filter from you. It has to. All organisations, the, the like leader, influences everything through your non-verbals and through who you are. Mm. It's like who you are, shout so loudly, I can't hear what you say. Like Bob Chapman has influenced the entire organisation through his belief system. Multi-billion dollar company. Yeah, that's right. That's, you know, it's testament to the fact that it drips down. But back to the swing story, this lady who's right. a little bit unapproachable. So she's looking a bit grumpy yeah. and and two or three, this is progress, right, folks? This is how you notice progress. Two or three times I remember thinking to myself, after I thought I'm going to avoid her, she's a bit scary, I thought I'm going to go over and talk to her because I've judged her. And, and three times as I was going over, someone said, would you like to dance? So I feel better about myself because I thought I've actually had the consciousness to say, oh, no, I've judged her. I'll go and talk to her. She's probably a lovely person, just had a bad day. Now, I'd seen her three times and she always looked that grumpy. But anyway, I was trying to be, you know, non-judgmental and I got distracted, but I didn't actually do it. 
And so there's an opportunity of a life event of, of no significance really, but it would have had significance for me if I'd actually gone and made the effort to speak to her. And it might have changed her night or not. She might have told me to fuck off as well. But <laughs> at least I would have tried to not judge and be kind. And those are the little things that we really don't talk about that much in life until something happens. But those are the things that in every aspect of life, and in particular in real estate where you live and die by your relationships, it matters. Mm. And like I was talking about the nonverbals before, if you judge somebody that walks in, it's a bit like pretty woman, you know, where he takes, she goes to whatever that expensive street is in Beverly Hills, mm. and she looks like a prostitute and she goes into the stores and they won't talk to her and they won't serve her. And yet she comes back with Richard Gear, yep. whatever his name is, and spends a fortune. And remember that scene where she walks out with a million shopping bags and goes, big mistake, big. Yeah. We make mistakes all the time as we judge. And what's more, that, that continual judgment blocks our capacity. It comes from fear and it blocks our capacity for joy. How do you catch yourself in it more? Oh, uh, you know, uh, wow, this is like... Uh, Asking for a friend, by the way. Uh, yeah, of course. And I'm telling this a friend story, <laughs> like this morning, my friend. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I wrote on a pink note. I got it here, like pink note. I stuck it on my fridge. It's a sticky note that's sticky all the way across. And I wrote down no judgment, huh. no fear, compassion. So that every time I open the fridge... Because I've set an intention to become less judgmental. Okay. And I was listening again to another, you know, kind of Oracle Girl type person this morning that was making so many like ding, ding, ding points with me. You know, when you hear things, this is what happens in all the audiences. And when we speak to each other, you hear something and it isn't that you learn something new. It's that it resonates and reminds you of what you already know. Yeah. Okay. And and you begin to remember who you really are. And it's interesting because that remembering is starting to come into my presentations more, where I'm encouraging people to even have the concept of remember who you really are. You're astonishing. Humans are astonishing beings, hmm. but we've coated it in these fears. So the judgment only comes from fear. And truly, I was a bit scared if I went to the woman that, that she didn't, I don't know, she didn't like me because I'd tried to talk to her a couple of times before and she was a bit short. So I knew it was from fear mm. and I didn't want to because, you know, supposedly my jobs eradicate fear and I don't know if it's just in me or in the planet or I'm meant to wear an armour and go out there and battle fear. I'm not quite sure yet but it, I suspect that's got something to do with big. And uh, I, I want to address those fears. So every time I have a judgement, I'm going to ask myself to see what I'm scared of, and then find compassion. Find compassion. And yeah, because it's be present. Oh, I must write that down on my little sticky bit because the, the in-between step is if you become present, so if you're going for compassion, I haven't quite worked this out because I only did it today. Yeah, no, please. There's, there's judgment. There's always fear behind the judgment. So if we choose to get rid of the fear, go to compassion, and then you're really present, you'll actually see what's going on. Or it might be that you're present, then you have compassion. Because yeah. when you're present, 
are you really present to the other person and you you allow the fields to interact, which they already are anyway, we're just not aware of it, remember, six feet sphere, yep. then perhaps that would have given been an easier way for me to have compassion or for me to see, well, there's truly nothing to be afraid of. What's she going to do? Like pull a gun out of a handbag, which is possible in America, um, you know, and shoot me, who knows, but highly unlikely. Uh, that's good. Well, hey, I, I, I know that we've sort of gone a few all over the places today, which I've really enjoyed. We didn't get to our N5, but there's probably 50 um, yeah. that we got to. But well, there's at least five. Yeah, there's at least five for sure. But but I think that I think that the um, the part of this that we have mentioned a few times and to sort of round out the episode, we've mentioned a few people and a few things that you're using that if people want to dive deeper into the learning that you're going through. Mm-hmm. So first of all, the people that you see as resources around you, um, who 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 are they, and do they have books? Do they have resources? I know we've mentioned one book um, uh, from Bob. What was the name of that Chapman. again? Sorry, Bob, uh, everybody yep. matters. Everybody matters. Bob Chapman. Um, oh, yep. uh, there is one. In case I forget it, let me interrupt. Sorry. There's okay. a book called The People Pill okay. by a guy called Ken Wright, W R I G H T, who, in fact, full disclaimer, uh, is my ex. Oh. But he was one of the best leaders I've ever come across. And I made him write that book because I didn't see anybody who did what he did. So between the people pill and everybody matters, I reckon you got all the leadership handling people elements covered. You've right. got to have strategy and you know, Course, yeah. all that yep. sort of stuff. Yep. In terms of relationships and people management, which pretty much, let's face it, is a business. Mm-hmm. And that old saying, people don't leave um, jobs, they leave bosses. Yes. And real estate's tough these days in particular. And yes. the only thing that's going to keep you successful is your relationships with your team and externally and the community. Yeah. So those two books are really good ones. And I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, no, it's okay. Any other resources that you can say outside? Because no. we'll get to the stuff that you're doing as well that I want to make sure that people can obviously get in touch with you as well. But but I guess that what about anything else that you would recommend from the people that you're working with now or have in the past? Well, michaelgrinder.com, so like Pepper Grinder. Uh-huh. Michael teaches teachers how to teach better. Okay. So if you have to do presentations, he does a group wizardry course every June near okay. Oregon. Oh. And uh, it's just Michael taught me the difference between process and content. Okay. So when you're speaking, presenting, the content has to be appropriate, relevant, up to date. It's the process that's the magic that makes the message stick. Right. That changes that that gives that creates an environment in which people can change. Yeah. So I don't change people's lives; they change their own lives. But I can touch their hearts in that field then they make the decision to make the difference. And that probably is point six. The more you touch people's hearts, I did say before, connect heart to heart, you can change people's behaviour in a heartbeat if you tell them a story that touches their heart. Sure. That's why stories are so powerful. They are so powerful. When you're leading or when you're speaking or presenting. Um, And then uh, David Martin wrote a book called there's an interesting couple of books. One is called Coup de 12, C-O-U-P-D-E-T-12. And the other is Lizards Eat Butterflies. And it's a book basically that slams self-help. And it's an amazing book and it takes commitment to read it. It slams self-help? Wow, that might be interesting. 
Yeah. It's got me. It's got me. It's amazing. I just, I want to know, I want to meet the people who come up with the titles of these books. Yeah. Like from a, from a, from a marketing perspective, because that's, that's interesting. Well, it's, it's worth getting. If I had a spare copy, mine are in transit. I'd send you one, Ben. Um, But it's it's worth reading. Lizards eat butterflies. butterflies. Okay. All right. And and it will wobble your world. David is, um, he kind of defines in the marketing that he creates wobbles. So you know when a top is spinning and it gets, it spins, 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 and then it starts to slow down and gets to that wobble point. Uh And if you don't start spinning it again, it goes. Yep. So he's going around the planet trying to put wobbles into all sorts of systems that need to be fixed. Shaken up, yeah. Taken down. And the book will put a wobble <laughs> into the way you operate, uh, but it's a worthwhile wobble. Awesome. And okay, well, that's leads great. you. Uh, at the moment, they're the key ones. Um, what about you, Amanda? How do people get in touch with you and, and what you're doing and, and start to understand a little bit more? Obviously, you know, you're, you're speaking at a lot of real estate events. We're hopefully having you um, together at the Harcourts um, event as well. Like it, like the, the where else can they get in touch with you? Well, if they go to my website, amandagore.com, and uh, I wrote a book called Joys and Inside Job, 10 years ago now, um, and I updated it once. And, you know, Aussies, we don't, like, promote ourselves terribly well. But I, I did look at it a while ago thinking, oh, God, it's, like, so long now and I suppose it's going to be crap. So I, I scanned it. I couldn't read it all again. Um, and I thought, wow, this is actually quite good. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't aged really. What's the name? What's the name of it again? Because again, we'll have it in the show notes, and we'll have where to contact oh, you in thanks. the show notes. It's joy is an inside job. Okay. It's an interesting story behind it. So, um, uh, I've been trying to. I've had no trouble writing books before. I've written several books, but um, uh, I knew uh, again that was. A, I think that was the third knowing oh. thing voice. You you should write a book on joy. So I kind of had this. Oh, I'm supposed to write a book on joy. I'm gonna. And I was the most joyless person I knew pretty well. I'm speaking on it, but I'm joyless. And I noticed the um, that uh, imposter syndrome. Gotcha. And why I needed to change it. And uh, we moved to Vermont. My mum died and we moved to Vermont. And I was still trying to write the bloody book. And I woke up one morning and I had this, I don't know if it was a dream or a vision or a something, but my mum was there saying, I'm putting together a writing committee and we want you to meditate and we'll download the book. And I'm like, what? Okay. I told Ken, and I'm like, oh, this is bizarre. Oh, well, nothing else has worked, so I might as well try it. So I sat down, I meditated. Bugger me. I went <laughs> and I wrote 35 pages without, it, like just 35. And the book was done in about five weeks. And it's a fat book. It's not that fat, but it's kind of like fat, you know, an inch thick and 12 chapters. And so I'm, I mean, I'm surprised when I look at the book really. So, so well, it comes at, from it comes from a good place then. It's obviously something that obviously is one of those things that is just a flow state that happened. Well, certainly flow. <laughs> and, um, and we did, you know, we could do a whole program on that one. Yeah, for um, sure. So there's my website and that's the book and, uh, you can sign up for a newsletter that I promise I will become more regular at writing soon. 
I love that. You know, like that. What I what I tell people about things like that. It's like everybody that's so regular because we put two episodes out on the podcast a week, and it's like you know, it's all at like the exact same times. So I'm like, ah, oh, you know, sometimes it's good. Like some of the best podcasts that I listen to, or, or or things that we get, you know, oh ding, you get an email. It's like, oh, I didn't expect that today. You know, yeah. and you might read a little bit more. So I like that. Well, I love that reframe. Thank you. That's perfect. You um, you and then my YouTube channel. So it's Amanda Gore TV. And lots of people after, I mean, I'm amazed. I, when I went back to Australia, because I've been away 10 years, nobody had remembered me, well, not many. So I had to do something to get out there again. And YouTube had just begun. That's how right. old I am. And I, I taught myself how to put videos up on YouTube because I had gazillions of videos from America. And back then we were doing massive events, you know, 15,000 yep. people and stuff. And uh, since then, Excuse me. YouTube has become my biggest marketing tool. Oh, that's cool because I, yeah, I've got to be honest. I prefer to learn learn through that. Like I'm not a strong reader in any way, shape, or form, um, but I try to. However, yeah. however, the YouTube YouTube definitely is helpful from a from a log perspective. So again, we'll make sure that we link to that. Amanda, thank you so much for being so open with us today. I've really enjoyed the conversation, and thanks for joining I us on. Love it with Real you, Estate. Ben. Thanks for inviting me. Let's do it again. Absolutely. So about 75% of our audience hasn't liked, followed, or subscribed to our podcast. It would mean the world to us, and it would help this podcast more than you know to expand our reach if you were to like, follow, or subscribe on any of the platforms that you're watching or listening on. Thanks again.